0: I love seeing all the, the people from across the state networking together, meeting people, uh, meeting people in person that, that you know on social media or something like that. And uh, man, we're excited to to be able to do this together today, brothers. Last year at the 2021, I'm Mike Pippen. I lead church planning for North Carolina Baptist, and um, just love what we do. Church planner from way back. Uh, and continue to work in that world as much as I possibly can. Uh, not just working with church planters, but but living and attending church plants, and uh, continuing to be a part of it on a weekly basis. But brothers, um, last year, 2021, disciple making conference, I was um, I was just impressed by how good a job they did with the conference. It was just a good. Conference and I'm not having been a part of these things for years, I know how much logistics and everything go in to creating a conference. And so here's here's me. Like, as we, we have our little things that we do through the year as church planners, and I'm like going, Man, I should just like do a church planning conference inside of the disciple making conference. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we did a conference inside the conference? And I I went to Dr. Brian and asked him, hey, um, man, can I just like do a, a church planter gathering here, being that everybody's here, and that way it's kind of, you know, make it one of our pillar conferences. One of the things that, that we do that allows us to bring the guys into the room, you know, our core values are tribe, reproduce, and restoration, talking about gospel restoration. And, and uh, tribe is so important. And it seems like every time we turn around, there's another thing for you guys to do. So being that you guys were gonna be here, so let's, let's do something that uh, brings us together. So we're blessed today to uh, have our brother Mike McDaniel with us from the Heights Church in Denver, who's flown in, flying in and flying out today, so that he could be here with you. Um, Mike will tell you about who he is, but uh, I just have learned so much from him through the years, grateful for his partnership and just his brotherhood, and uh, man, I'm excited for you to bring this to us. I don't want to take you got so much to do. I don't want to take any more of your time, Mike. Thanks for coming here and being with us here in North Carolina, uh, as all of us churches work together and be a movement of churches on mission together. So guys, put our hands together and welcome Mike. Again.
1: Thanks, Mike. Um, uh, just really excited to be here uh, with you guys today. Um, Uh, Number one is negative one in Denver right now. So, I know you guys feel bad about the rain outside, but I feel pretty good about it. Um, If you've ever been to Denver before, um, it it will be 60 degrees and sunny one day um, and negative one and snowing the next. The good news is it'll be 60 degrees and sunny again two days later. Um, But super excited to be back with you guys here in the great state of North Carolina. I spent... uh, 11 years here um, uh, Prior to moving out to Denver um, My wife and I met here got married. Well technically didn't meet here. That's a longer story Um, My wife and I got married here had our kids here um, and uh, Just just did a life a lot of life here. And so it's super exciting to uh, be back here with you guys Um, a little bit of my story I spent Eleven years on staff with. Let's hope that doesn't happen again. With the Summit Church um, in Raleigh, Durham, as the pastor of church planting, where um, by the grace of God I found myself in the middle of really a, a move of God, I would say that still continues um, in a lot of ways to this to this day. Um, you guys have probably figured this out. Like we don't we don't make movements right we just we just ride the wave Um, and I feel like I got to ride the wave of what God was doing in a unique way for 11 years Um, a wave that continues through churches that we planted all around the country Um, over the course of those 11 years uh, we got to it seems to be working now do you want to switch it out? It helps if it's on. All right. Sorry about that, guys. All right. There we go. Um, Welcome to church planning. These are the kind of things that you guys know. You guys know. Uh, we're five years in and that stuff still happens. It's like, man, when are we gonna get out of the toddler stage and stop like pooping in our diapers? Um, so uh, over the course of 11 years uh, there at Summit, we, uh, we got to plant 50 churches around the US, sent out 30 former staff to be a part of those church plants and over 600 people to be a part of those plants. And so just, just an incredible move of God Um, that I got to ride Um, but honestly I feel like probably the last year and a half of my life qualifies me more to stand up in front of you guys because a year and a half ago my family decided it was time for us to go and so uh, we moved across the country to Denver Colorado um, to be a part of actually a granddaughter Church of the Summit so um, it You know, God just writes really cool stories. He writes way better stories than we could write. Um, so the very first guy that I got to work with, uh, that I got to help uh, train to plant a church, was a guy named Brian Barley, planted a church called The Summit, Denver. Um, and then three years later, uh, Brian met a guy named Corbin Hobbs, and Brian uh, helped Corbin plant the Heights Church there, about five minutes away from him in the city. And that's now where I'm on staff. Um, came on staff a year and a half ago um, as the pastor of formation, which is just a maybe a cool way of saying discipleship. Um, so um, I'll share a little bit more of that story later. Um, and, and I want to share it in terms of like what it has to do with what we're going to talk about today. Um, but. Man, before I jump into that, one of the things that I love the most is to spend time with church planners. Church planners are, you guys are God's Marines. You know that? That's what Marines do. They go ahead of everybody else and they take ground that needs to be taken. And they often do it without the support that they need. They often do it without um, the resources that they need. They go and they, they take ground. And that matters to God. It matters to God a lot. And so, um, I don't know how many of you guys here in the room are church planners. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just, I just want you to hear that this morning, what you're doing matters to god a lot and regardless of where you're at in that process um, you're going to see him show up you're going to see him provide in ways that you wouldn't know possible one of the things that god has done in my family the most over the last year and a half is he's restored a sense of dependence in us that honestly we had lost you know, when you start in ministry, like it's easy to be dependent, right? Because you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> so it's really easy to be dependent. Um, but what happens over time is you kind of you, you figure some things out, you gain a little bit of sense of, of confidence, right? And then if you're not careful, it's really easy to lose that dependence and to find yourself in a place where you can get up in the morning and feel like, oh, I know how to write a sermon. Oh, I know how to do this. Oh, I know how to do that. I, Maybe I don't need to pray about it this morning, right? And one of the things I love about planning a church is it just puts you right back, or even being on staff at a church plan, it puts you right back in that place of dependence, right? Um, some of you guys probably fought, felt that a lot over the last two years, that place of dependence again. Um, but whenever we're in that place, we get to see God show up in ways that um, uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't ask or imagine. Um, and so, man, grateful to be here with you guys, excited to invest in you, um, and and talk about what we have to talk about today. One of the things that you'll learn about me as we kind of go is I want this to be super practical for you. Okay. I want it to be super practical for you. And so what I want you to walk away with is, is not just ideas, but a plan. And that's something that we're going we're gonna to work on throughout the day as we do these sessions together. And so to help me do that, I just want to like, figure out a little bit where you guys are, are coming from. So just out of curiosity, how many of you guys that are in the room right now are currently planting a church? Currently planting a church. Okay. Um, how many of you guys are thinking about planting a church in the future? Okay. Okay. You might be sitting next to somebody on your staff, and you're kind of a little sheepish with that. You know? <laughs> Can I do that? Um, how many of you guys are um, part of a, a multiplying church or a church that wants to be a multiplying church? Okay. So, big chunk of the room. Okay, great. Um, that was my background. Um, obviously, it was being a part of a multiplying church. Now, I've had a little bit of the other side. Um, so, Here's where we're gonna go. Let me give you a picture. I think we've got a slide for this. Uh, First session is gonna be this. um, Why addition and multiplication are not at odds. Why addition and multiplication are not at odds. Session two, after lunch, developing a discipleship strategy. We're gonna talk about how do you actually put together a strategy. This is the practical piece for this could be for you know, a church plan, or if you're an existing church, it could be you know, how do you develop a discipleship strategy for an existing church because, a little secret, a lot of churches don't actually have a discipleship strategy. Okay. Session three, um, second part of that, recovering the lost art of obedience-based discipleship. Recovering the lost art of obedience-based discipleship. So my goal at the end uh, is that you guys would leave with a basic strategy for discipleship fleshed out on paper. Or if you have one already, maybe some ideas about how to change it. Okay? That's where we're headed. All right. All right. Why addition and multiplication are not at odds. Here's the big idea. Addition, reaching more people, and multiplication, reproducing disciples and leaders, are not choices to make, but tensions to manage. Addition and multiplication are not choices to make, but tensions to manage. Most of you guys have probably never heard the true story of Larry Walters. On July 2nd, 1982, a California man named Larry Walters went to a local army surplus store, bought 45 used weather balloons, inflated them, attached them to a lawn chair that he had secured to the back of his pickup truck. With several friends watching, He climbed into the chair, settled in, and had a friend untie the ropes. He took with him a CB radio, probably the only sensible part of this plan, a camera to document the whole thing, a peanut butter sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and a fully loaded pellet gun, you know, to get down. When his friends cut the cords that tied the lawn chair to his truck, Walter's chair promptly rose to a height of 16,000 feet and was spotted by two commercial airliners. 10 minutes later, the Long Beach Airport uh, reported an unidentified flying object in the skies. Lawn chair Larry the reclining cosmonaut, was now three miles above the ground. The pilot of the 737 who first spotted Larry said, well, I I see what looks like a perfectly still man sitting in, is that a lawn chair? Larry was um, in the sky for 45 minutes. After 45 minutes, he shot several balloons, taking care not to unbalance the load. He then accidentally dropped his gun overboard. Fortunately, he had descended, he had popped enough balloons that he descended slowly uh, until the balloon's dangling rips got caught in a power line. power line broke, causing a blackout in the city, but eventually he landed unharmed. True story. Larry was promptly arrested by the members of the Long Beach Police Department and fined $4,000 for piloting an aircraft in federal airspace. Just after landing, he spoke to the press and when they asked him, why did you do it? He said, I just got tired of sitting around. (laughs) I find that many Christians in our churches feel like Larry. They're just tired of sitting around. They feel like they're supposed to be doing something, but they're not quite sure what it is. They go to churches where they hear that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And yet they don't see themselves or the church for that matter prevailing. Instead, they see the church retreating and losing ground. I can't help but think that these two problems, Christians who lack a sense of purpose and the decline of the church are connected to each other. And yet very few of us have as one of our primary criteria of success, raising up leaders in our congregation who can disciple others. Instead, we tend to measure success primarily by how big we can grow, as opposed to how many leaders we can produce. Now, the thing is, nobody actually sets out to do that, right? Like, it's not like we wake up one day and we decide, you know, let's see how big and shallow we can get this thing to be, right? Nobody says that. Even the people that you think say that don't actually say that. Um, so here's what, gonna, what I'm going to propose actually happens. The very strategies we create to disciple people actually limit how much we can disciple people. The very strategies that we create to disciple people actually limit how much we can disciple people. Let me explain. Um, Many of our discipleship strategies look like this, right? Maybe you've even used an image like this in planning your discipleship strategy, right? We, we tend to think about discipleship as a funnel that people move through, right? So um, somebody shows up at your church, they attend your church, that's kind of the biggest end of the funnel, that's the biggest gathering that you have, they show up, and then what's your goal? Your goal is to make sure that they come back the next Sunday, right? Right? Um, And so you spend, you know, a lot of energy figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we connect this person so that they'll come back the next Sunday and they come back and then you want to connect them further, right? So you plug them into, um, groups, um, you plug them into, maybe you, you have some kind of class that you offer to help them get connected to people. They show up, they get connected, um, they get in a group and then our goal is to help them serve, Right. We get them on a volunteer team. We help them serve. Um, So you guys get the idea. We're trying to move people from this large end of the funnel down to the smallest end of the funnel, which is where we send them out to go. And in a lot of ways, you know, this is a really, really effective strategy. It's good at a lot of things. We use this strategy. So I'm I'm not... um, I'm not here to kind of throw this strategy out, out the window, all right? What are some things that are good about this strategy? I told you guys this is going to be interactive. It sends people, it sends people right? So people will, people will make it from the beginning to the end, right? So it, it, it works. What are some other things that are, that are good?
0: It
1: it, yeah. It yeah, yeah. So, you know, when they get to this point that they serve, it helps them identify their gifts, where they can serve. Uh, what else? It's simple. it's simple. It's simple. It's huge. It's huge. We'll talk about that more in a second. What else? You can filter and equip with that
0: process
1: before you send Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody's ready to be sent. You know? So it helps us. It helps us plug people in to you know different places that are appropriate for where they're at right all right what are some of the challenges how many of you guys just out of curiosity how many of you guys run a system similar to this in some way okay maybe Um, what are some of the challenges of of that system Yeah, how do we move people from one step to the other? What else? It assumes that not many people will be sent. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it assumes that not many people will make it to the end. What if What if God wants the funnel to look a little bit a little bit bigger than the bottom? What else?
0: It requires attendance as kind of the first step in the cycle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What if, you know, what if... Uh, What if it's more likely, this could be true in some of your contexts, that people might show up to a group of, you know, with people that they know as opposed to um, coming to a a weekend worship gathering, right? That would be true in my context. It's less and less likely that people are going to show up to a weekend worship gathering. That's not just something they're looking for, okay? Um, Especially on the weekend because they're snowing or they're skiing, you know, 30 minutes away. All right. What else? Anything else?
0: We of the leaders in Scripture would be qualified by our strategies today, or by our
1: unpack that. What do you mean by that?
0: A lot of the people that we see in Scripture, like even the disciples, were not people that were qualified.
1: Yeah. So maybe sometimes um, you know, even even something like this doesn't really meet people where they're at, right? And you know, we'll get into this in a second, but like, um, you know, Jesus Jesus didn't seem to pre-qualify a lot of people that he spent a lot of time with. Um, all right. So, um, how many of you guys, just out of curiosity, do small groups in your church? Some version of small groups. Majority. Um, for you guys that don't do small groups, what do y'all do? Sunday school? Or some kind of like some kind of classes? Okay, we'll go with groups. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, let you into a little secret about what actually happens in groups. Okay? Um, now, here's the thing. I I love small groups. Um, our church does groups. I think small groups play a really important role in people's, can play a really important role in people's discipleship journey. But... They can't carry the weight, the whole weight of discipleship, okay? I had a mentor, and one of the things that he told me is that the challenge with groups is that there's three different kind of people in a group, okay? The first kind of person is somebody that's looking for community, somebody that's looking for community. These people can be in all different kinds of places spiritually, but the primary reason that they're... Maybe they've shown up to your church, and the primary reason that they're in a group is because they're looking for community. They're looking for relationships with other people. Okay? Second time, a person is people that are looking for guidance. These are people that aren't just there for community, they're there for some form of spiritual guidance. They're, not just, they're just not sure how much they want yet. Okay? They're testing the waters. And they might be in all different kinds of places spiritually, they might not be a believer. They, they might have just come back to church recently, but they're, they're there to just kind of test the waters with other people. And, and they're looking for some general spiritual guidance, but they're not sure like how much they want of that. The third type of person is someone who's looking for discipleship. They're all in, right? These people aren't just looking for guidance. They want other people to actually speak into their life. Now, if that's true, if we've got those three groups of people, people that are looking for community, people that are looking for guidance, people that are looking for discipleship, how does that play out in the life of a group? Or let me back up and ask this question. Who do you want in a group? Well, you want all of those three kinds of people, right? So, it's not that, it's not that groups, groups should be for all those different kinds of people, but what happens when you put all those different kinds of people in a group is that the group has to cater to the lowest common denominator. The group has to cater toward the people that are looking for community because we got to make sure that those people are comfortable in community. Now it can, it can, it can, it can push them a little bit, right? But Who's going to be kind of left out of the conversation? It's, it's generally going to be the people that are looking for discipleship. In fact, you know, if you think about some of uh, the people in your church that don't like groups, that's probably why they don't like groups is because they're looking for discipleship. If you think about why, um, as people that are in ministry, you probably don't like groups. It's okay to say that. Most pastors I know don't like groups. And the reason they don't like groups is because they're looking for disciples. They're looking to disciple people. And the group doesn't go as deep as they want to go. The other reason they don't like groups is because in a lot of our groups, we talk about our sermons. And that's kind of awkward, right? Like, um, um, in my last job, I didn't preach a lot. And this one, I I preach every once in a while. And I preach uh, the worst, like the worst thing is going to group that week where we're going to, where like these other people are going to have to talk about what I just preached to them. And we're going to try and do it in a way that is, so my, like my groups just turned into, we're going turn into a total joke where it's like, all right, who, who wants to give Mike feedback on this? <laughs> <laughs> so what are groups good for? Groups are great for getting people into community of the church. And that is really, really, really important. Groups are great for pointing people toward what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's really, really, really important. What groups are not great at is speaking into people's life in a really, really intentional way. But the challenge in a lot of our churches is that right in the middle of that pipeline, our groups. Have you ever noticed that a lot of us have um, a hole in the middle of our church? We're really good at reaching people, getting them connected, getting them involved. We're, we can be really good at sending them out, and getting them involved in mission, but there's this kind of hole in the middle, right, where a lot of people get, tend to get stuck. I think this is why. So, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us know this, right? Like a lot of this, a lot of us have kind of observed this. Maybe you bumped up against this as a leader. Um, Look back at the funnel. So if we kind of know this is true, why is it that we don't, you know, we just kind of end up running this play? Why is it that we kind of got, kind of get stuck here? It's simple. It's easy. Don't know what else to do. <laughs> and what we're what we're really saying when we say it's simple and easy is we don't have time. We only have so much time. And if we're honest, just that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. So how do we get ourselves out of the trap? Um, what I want to suggest is that we get ourselves out of the trap by embracing the tension between addition and multiplication. By embracing the tension between addition and multiplication. The Great Commission is, in many ways, the marching orders of the church. It's the benchmark by which we measure success. Inherent to the Great Commission, right, is the command to make disciples, which implies both addition and addition. And multiplication we're to make disciples of all nations uh, that's that's addition and we're to baptize not only baptize them but teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you that's multiplication now depending on your personnel and your disposition it is really easy to gravitate toward one of those or the other right it certainly makes decisions a lot easier But evaluating success by addition or multiplication alone is not only unfaithful, it's unfruitful. It's not only unfaithful, it's unfruitful. Let me unpack that. Churches that add without multiplying aren't actually adding as much as they think. When a church produces converts who aren't really disciples, their addition is illusionary. How many of you guys have seen some illusionary addition over the last two years? When a part of your church that you thought was here all of a sudden disappeared. So churches that add without multiplying aren't as, aren't adding as much as they think. Jesus didn't command us to make, uh, converts, he commanded us to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything that he commanded. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong, like, I'm not against, uh, you know, counting numbers or any of those things, but we just can't forget that when we count numbers that heaven is ultimately going to count disciples, right? So those who add without multiplying aren't adding as much as they think, but also, secondly, churches that multiply without adding aren't multiplying as much as they think. Listen, this is an important distinction. Um, You see, a lot of people equate the second half, a lot of people equate the second half of the Great Commission with teaching people deep theology and doctrine. But Jesus doesn't say, teach them to know everything I commanded. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I commanded. You know how you can tell the difference between uh, whether a church gets these two? They don't just produce Bible nerds, they produce evangelists. Right? And so when we talk about multiplication, we're not just talking about teaching people deep doctrine. We're we're talking about teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded, which which means they're going to end up living on mission. That's why real multiplication, listen to this, real multiplication always leads to addition. It's just a different way to addition, right? The funnel is one way of addition. People come in. They experience Sunday morning, they're seeking God, they get to hear the gospel proclaimed. That's one way of addition. Multiplication is another way of addition. So real multiplication always leads to addition by investing in the few. You reach the many. Um, In fact, what sometimes scares us away from multiplication, right, is the fear that it will slow growth. What's really behind that time problem, right, is the fear that if we don't take care of all these things first, it will slow growth. And it might slow growth for a season, but ultimately, it'll contribute to growth. It'll multiply it. Um, now, I know, like, especially you guys that are church planners in the room, when you hear a talk like this, you're like, man, this sounds awesome, but... I'm just trying to get this thing off the ground. You know, um, I, and you know, sometimes you can hear talks like this on multiplication and it just, it sounds like, it, you know, it sounds like people are anti-addition. Um, and that's not what I'm advocating for all. I'm saying you can do the two together hand in hand. Um, I'll tell you, I'll share with you guys uh, really quick what's kind of put me over the edge on this um, in a good way. And then we'll have some time to, uh, for question and answer for you guys to interact with this. Um, I, I kind of came to this conviction um, while I was still um, serving as church planning uh, pastor at Summit. And the thing, that, the thing that pushed me to that conviction was um, I, saw, I saw a couple of things happening. Um, number one, um, I saw more and more churches getting involved in church planning. Which is awesome. I saw more and more resources being put towards church planning, which is awesome. Um, there are now more resources available to plant churches than there ever have been in history. Um, I, I can't remember the stat, but it's something ridiculous. Like, it's like how many? If you look cross-denominationally, it's something like like six hundred million dollars that goes towards church planning every year. I mean, it's 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 crazy, right? Some of you guys are like, man, I want to get me some of that, right? <laughs> so um, there are, there's more resources available for church planting, more knowledge, more money, all those things than there ever have been. And yet, at the same time, there are fewer church planters available for church planting than we've ever seen in recent history. Um, when I started the residency at, at Summit, we were trying to raise up guys internally to go out and plant churches. We were also kind of recruiting guys from the outside that were, you know, wanted to plant churches with us. And, you know, literally the first year um, that we were doing this, I might, ha- I might get like a hundred emails of guys that wanted to plant. Right. And it was crazy. It was like, we, we were looking for five out of a hundred. Um, by the last year I'd be talking to a guy and he'd be talking to three other church planning residencies and comparing what each of them offered to decide who was going to give them the best, best offer. That's where we are. Um, I was sitting around the, a table the other day with a couple of what I would call uh, church planning grandfathers in our city. Guys that have been there for 20, 30 years planning churches. Uh, by the way, there's only a couple, uh, which, is, which is one of our challenges. But they were sharing that they had never seen... Um, every year, I mean, every year they can, they can think of a handful of guys that are coming in, that they're excited about to plant churches in their city. Um, And this is the first year where they couldn't name anybody in the city of Denver. They couldn't name anybody. So, you know, that's one of the things that got me started on this journey. It's ultimately part of what led to my wife and I relocating and moving um, to a more unreached city because we just came to the conviction Hey, this isn't actually um, a church planning problem. Like seeing the gospel advances isn't actually a church planning problem. It's not even a leadership development problem. It's a disciple making problem. And so we moved to Denver to be a part of a five-year-old church plant to make disciples. Because... If we can figure out how to do that in Denver, one of the most progressive cities in the US, then we can do it anywhere. But even with that conviction, what has kind of put me over the edge on this since I've been there, um, what kind of forces my hand, right? Because it's really easy to go back to that play. Because it's simple, it's easy, it's time-consuming. What keeps me from just going back to that play is um, living in a culture where if we don't disciple people, they won't make it. They won't make it. Um, We've—I've um, yeah, been there about a year and a half. We've probably. We've, I've gotten to see a number of people baptized during that time, people that were coming, you know, from totally non-Christian backgrounds and, and getting baptized. And um, the first time it happened, I, I watched this guy because... I, I, I got connected to him because we were running a course called Alpha at the time for New Believers. And all of a sudden, like, he just disappeared on me. He was, he was just gone. And I emailed him. I couldn't get him to come back. I couldn't get him to return my emails. And I went to uh, Corbin and Johnny, the other pastors on our team. They've been there much longer than I have, right? I was like, man, like, what's the deal? Like, this guy's just ghosted me. And they're like, yeah. So baptism is kind of the kiss of death here. I was like, what? What does that mean? They're like, yeah. Like, whenever we baptize a new believer, like, half, half the time, maybe more, they just disappear. I was like, what, you, like, what do you mean? It's like they come, up, they come under such spiritual warfare when they get baptized that uh, they don't make it. Um, we're actually, we've actually started talking about creating like a catechesis class that we take people through either pre or post baptism. Because what we're realizing is, especially when they come from a totally secular background, they don't have, you know, when someone comes to Christ in a place like North Carolina, and this is always true, but generally speaking, they have some Christian history somewhere in the background. They have family members who are believers. They were part of a church at some point in time. And we underestimate how much of an impact that makes when they come to Christ. There is latent spiritual truth and latent ways of living that get activated When they come to christ right when someone doesn't have that at all in their background they don't know how to live they don't have any support structure and they you know discipleship is not just like it's not just teaching it's unteaching we don't just do formation we do unformation right there's old patterns of thinking that we have to teach people out of and that takes time um it's a messy process, and so um, you know, I saw this happen recently. Uh, Dennis, is with me, and this is a guy that he's gotten to know really well, and uh, is in his, his small group. Guy is a he's a psychiatrist. Okay, in Denver, he gets invited um, by a, a girl that goes to our church as a counselor. Comes to the church. Um, what the reason that he is interested in hearing about church? is that he's a psychiatrist who counsels people out of addictions, but he's addicted. And his own, his own techniques can't cure his addiction. So he's sitting here spending all day like helping people try to overcome their addictions and he can't get out of his own addiction. And so he's like, you know, I'll, sure, I'll try church. And he shows up and he, starts, he comes for a few weeks he starts listening and the Holy Spirit starts working on his life and he comes to Christ. And he starts to experience acceptance, freedom that he hasn't, he's never experienced before. And uh, what's wild is that even before he came to Christ, he shared with some of his coworkers that he was trying to get rid of this addiction. Um, and his coworkers made fun of him for trying to get rid of it. He was addicted to pornography and for them, they were all addicted to pornography, too. So, you know, they're like, well, why would you try and get rid of that? You know, and they didn't like him talking about getting rid of it because it made them feel guilty about their addiction. So after he comes to Christ, a couple of them came to, came to his baptism just to kind of witness it. After, after he comes to Christ, they just start dogging him. Just, just like making fun of him, you know, at work. Um, to the point that like now this guy is like he's he feels like he's losing all of his friendships he feels like his job might even be in jeopardy right because all his coworkers are talking about this and the other day he um um he told was it you Dennis or Johnny told told one of our pastors man I, I feel like I just got to take a step back I feel like I just got to take a step back In our city, if we don't teach people to obey everything that Jesus commanded, the culture will come along and teach them something different. Um, The missional movement, you guys are familiar with the missional movement last 20 years. Um, Some of the greatest spokesmen for the missional movement are now big spokesmen for the disciple-making movement. The reason they're now big spokesmen for the disciple-making movement is they sent all their people on mission and they realized that they weren't ready. Because they went out to form people and they got more formed by the culture than they did forming. And so they're like, man, we got to back it up. Like we got we to gotta go further. We got to do some more fundamental work. Um, now, some of you guys might hear that. You might be like, man, you live in Denver. Like y'all smoke weed, you know. <laughs> I don't have those problems. And it's true, our, you know, our culture is way more progressive. 50% of my neighbors are gay, 50%. Um, but our church is full of 25 and 26 year olds. And you know where they come from? The South and the Midwest. They're all coming to my city from your churches. They're showing up in our church because They have some kind of Christian background. They move to the city. They don't know people, right? But they're getting eaten alive because they were never discipled. The foundation that they got wasn't solid enough to last. So, um, I don't don't care where you are. I don't care where you are. We got to change the game. All right here's where we're going. Um, in the next, in the next session, we're going to talk about how do we actually make, how do we actually build a disciple making strategy? Like I said at the beginning, my goal is that you guys would leave. If if you don't have a disciple making strategy with something sketched out on paper, if you do, you'd, you'd leave with some ideas about how to refine yours. Last session, we're going to talk about recovering the art of obedience-based discipleship, right? How do we teach people to obey? Um, but I want to hit pause here and we've got about 10 minutes before we're supposed to land. Um, And just throw a few questions um, on the screen for you guys to um, maybe process. If you're here with somebody else from your team, get together with that person. If you're here with somebody else, maybe from another church, um, but you know that person, you guys can process this together. But just ask yourself these questions. Um, What's your current strategy for discipleship? How's it working? What's your current strategy for discipleship and how's it working? what's going well, what isn't. Um, um, Another way of asking that, where do you feel like people are getting stuck? Um, Second question, what is the most effective disciple-making culture you've experienced? What did it look like? What did it look like? Third, how are you thinking about developing leaders in your church? What does that look like? Because that's Connected but, but separate how are you thinking about developing leaders in your church and then um, as you think about You know Multiplication what are the greatest tensions that you feel? What are those tensions go ahead and name those things right? Um, time money um, get super practical with this, some of you guys could be like, man, like, I'm, I'm super excited about this, but I don't know if anybody else on my team would be, you know, stuff like that. So spend the next few minutes, um, um, as we land, just, um, interacting with those, um, take those with you over the break, um, and, and process those, uh, before we land, any, any questions Anything that God's stirred in you that you want to press into a little bit more? Let me just make sure. Yeah. No problem. I
0: just want to make sure we we identify the problem in this
1: session. Yeah. You're about to hit the solution. Okay. Yeah. Next Next two. That was the hook, right? I hook you in. You got to come back. (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to give you more problems. The next yeah. No, no, no. I won't do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, like, as I think about addition and multiplication and, like, holding those in tension, what's a, what's a practical way of thinking about when when do you get to the multiplying stage? Yeah. So I'm thinking of, like, planting from a church plant. Right? Yeah. Like, is, yeah. In your mind, is there a level you get to? Is it just, like, I mean, yeah.
1: how do you through that? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll really unpack that more in the second and third sessions as we get into strategy, but, you know, I, I'll talk about it here. So one of the things that we get into in ministry sometimes is what we all call the myth of sequentialism. The myth of sequentialism. When we do, once we've done X, then we can do Y. Um, you know, and here's how the myth of sequentialism usually works in our, in our heads, right? It's like, man, I'm trying to plant a church like... I just got to have people first. Like, I don't have any people, right? And there's, you know, there's some truth to that. Um, but the challenge when we think that way is that often what's in the back of our mind is like, is what's really operating are some of these tensions that we've already talked about. And what we're really saying is, when I have time, when I have time, then I'll do that. Um, and what I want to suggest to you is if, if it's about time, it'll never happen because you're going to create that funnel first and once you know once you let the beast out of the cage you got to feed the beast and it'll it'll consume so much of your time that despite